Hello and welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Aaron Flores. And I'm Joan Pettit. We are broadcasting from Portland, Oregon, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. This is the show where we bring you somewhat irreverent conversations. I did. I kind of sold that a little too hard, didn't I? Is it, this is the show, Aaron. This is the going. show. I don't know why I said it like that. What do we do? We bring you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer. We cover (laughs) bicycling, trades and transit, infrastructure, adventures. And today I am very excited to chat with Cassie Wilson, who is a climate, transportation and disability rights activist. Sweet. Yeah. Chiming in on the Zoom shortly. She'll be joining us soon. How are things going for you? Uh, It's things are ramping up. Uh, it is Portland Student Transportation, Portland Public Schools Student Transportation Startup Week, where we welcome back all the new drivers and do a lot of retraining. I'm like in a position of responsibility now, and I'm not used to that. Are you um? Are you just like soaking in the power? No, <laughs> like no, just, I'm no. I am running from it as fast as I can. <laughs> run, someone, run, run. someone introduced me as uh, the lead radio operator, and I was like, "There is no lead radio op- radio operator." There's, there's. You're no looking leader. around. You're going, "Who? No, I don't think that <laughs> nope. person's here. Nope. Definitely not me." There is no lead. We are all equals. <laughs> How exciting for you to take on some additional responsibility during what is must be the smoothest start of the school year. Oh yeah, ever. totally. <laughs> We've been preparing for this all summer. All for all since two springs ago. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, this year at this time, you it's like we I don't remember. Who can I never mind. Time has no meaning. Yeah. So yeah, time time is re- is a construct. It's it's relative. All we have is the now. And the two weeks from now when kids ostensibly <laughs> will be back in school. Let's hope. So, well, I uh, I spent a few days in Seattle and You've been uh, I went, sailing. I went sailing, but I also, you know what I got really excited? Well, sailing was great and we can chat more about that, but I also took some photos and shared them on our Instagram account and I yeah, and that was it. I on uh, some of the uh, bike infrastructure that oh, yeah. I saw up there. Some good, yeah, some good infrastructure. Yeah, they had a couple streets where they had basically. It looked like the street had gone on. I mean, there were lots of places where um, there had clearly been a road diet of some kind, but there was a spot where basically a few streets where there was a couple. There was parking and a couple lanes of traffic, but then against the sidewalk there was a really nice two-way bikeway mm-hmm. with um you know with like i uh, am bike pulling specific, it up right now just yeah with so i can bikes see. bike specific signals and they also had at some of the intersections they had like bike footrests so that if you're at the light and you're stopped you basically can put your foot on the footrest 
which is raised a little, so you don't have to basically lean over. Right. So is that like the coveted position? Yeah, I mean, when you're, it's kind of nice. So, I mean, I think so, right? So you can get going quickly. You don't if you're if you have uh, if if you and look you know look at that. have it's, cleats. It's separated by a good amount of planters. Yes, that was the other, and there was still plenty of room on the sidewalk for people. So it didn't look like a place where the people walking on the sidewalk would just end up there. I don't know. Maybe if folks are in Seattle and they're using that, they can let me know uh, how it's let us know how it's going. I saw I saw a handful of things that looked that looked really good. Yeah. In different parts of town, too. So, I mean, okay, none of it was nearly as good as what I saw in Vancouver, uh, BC, a few years ago. But um, but Seattle was looking pretty good. I mean, I know they have those big hills, <laughs> which is, but you can't really, I mean, unless there's like a rope tow, unless there's like a. <laughs> that's there's that's like a, the next thing they're going to work on. <laughs> yeah, to get you up the hill. Uh, and, you know, but I will say, having said that, like, I didn't actually ride a bike. There were lots of e-bikes there and lots of scooters. And uh, we thought about getting those, but we were just basically walking. I was staying downtown, walking back and forth to the marina and then walking around. So I didn't ever really need to go all that far. Okay. Um, but it was it was great. It looked really good. It's our guest. What a treat. Welcome to Cassie Wilson, who is joining us today from Boring, Oregon. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. So Cassie, can you please introduce yourself and the activism that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so I'm Cassie. I'm 23 years old. I live in Boring. I'm a disabled climate justice uh, organizer with Sunrise PDX. I also do about a million other things. I'm also co-chair of the Clackamas County branch of DSA. Um, I'm the founder of a nonprofit called Half Access, which aims to make live music venues more accessible. And then I'm also on my county's two climate advisory task forces. Well, gosh, yeah, I, I was going to circle around. Back. I had a bunch of questions for you, but now I'm just, that 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 sounds like it all keeps you you know, uh, with a pretty full schedule. I also have seen, I've been following, you've been posting a lot of things. Are you doing, do you do the social media for, for all of the, any or all of these organizations that you're doing? I know you're, you're posting really some really fun stuff to TikTok, right? Did I see yeah. that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I've been, I've, I, yeah, I, I started dipping my toe in the water with Sunrise's social media, uh, first with Twitter. And then I was like, this is fun. And then Ada was like, we should revive the TikTok. And I was like, let's do it. And so now it's like, I can't be stopped. <laughs> okay. So you and Ada are doing that together. And I mean, am I correct that one of the primary aims of some of your efforts has been the Oregon Department of Transportation? <laughs> yeah, that would be very accurate. Yes. <laughs> a fine villain, a fine villain to, to do battle against. Um, well, do you want to talk about some of the issues that are most important to you in, in the work that you're doing? It definitely comes from a lot of different angles for me. Um, earlier this year, I asked Aaron Brown, I was like, hey, I know you guys have been fighting the Rose Quarter Freeway expansion. I was like, 
I don't know anything about the 205 expansion in Clackamas County, but I assume it's also not good. And, uh, and so we talked and he explained more about the impact of freeway expansion. And that kind of led to me thinking more about my own experiences with transportation growing up, uh, in unincorporated Clackamas County and especially as a disabled person and realized that I had a lot to say and, um, and then, you know, adding, so there's like the disability and just like the navigating my community part of transportation that's important to me. And then there's, you know, the fact that 40% of our emissions come from transportation that, um, you know, a, not a day goes by where I'm not thinking about the climate crisis. And so knowing that people who claim to be climate leaders are constantly advocating to expand um automobile infrastructure i'm like this doesn't make sense and you're not a climate leader if you're expanding this and um yeah (laughs) i mean we're not totally focused on portland but we do talk to a lot of people in in portland and you know in portland some of the issues that we have are a little different than what you experience um being a little further out. So can you talk about um, some of the challenges uh, you're seeing in your community around services and then transportation to those services? And I mean, this is, well, I have a second part, but so can you tell us about some of the challenges first and then I'll sort of follow up? Yeah, so I mean, where I live, there is no there's no sidewalks, there's no bike lanes, there's no public transportation. If you want to go anywhere, you have to go by car or I guess walk on the side of the road and hope you don't get hit into the ditch, Um, which people do walk and bike. I actually see it more and more lately. Um, But, uh, you know, every other week, my mom and I have to drive all the way to Portland to go to doctor's appointments because, the services my mom needs just are not available anywhere closer. Um, I'm planning on going back to school next year and I'm planning on going to Western Oregon because it's like, well, it's not that much farther than driving to PSU because um, Clackamas County doesn't have um, a university. So it's just like these very basic things, healthcare and higher education that just really aren't available um, any closer. And so because there's no transportation to get to these things, it makes me even more dependent on having to drive to, to get to them. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about that because you wrote a great opinion piece for Bike Portland. And I think it was like in January or so, or it was published. Um, we'll link to it in our show notes. But you talked a little bit about um, the tension um, between the freedom that you have because you now you have a license and can drive, and yet the frustration that you're dependent on a car to have this freedom. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's it's such like an interesting spot to be in because like I feel like every day I'm constantly like unlearning a lot about car culture and um and it's like 
yeah, I shouldn't have had to wait until I had my license to be able to navigate my community. People who literally cannot drive shouldn't have to depend on a car to get around. Um, And so it's like, on the one hand, I'm thrilled that for the first time in my life, I can take myself anywhere I want, whenever I want. But at the same time, I'm like, there's so many people who still can't. And, you know, what if one day I can't? And I mean, because at some point we all get to a certain age where it's probably a good idea for us to not drive. And um, yeah, so it's like weird. I, I find myself constantly like being like, Ugh, like cars need to be more accessible to disabled people, but then also being like, at the end of the day, I just want to metaphorically burn it all down and just have a regional like transit system that actually works for people instead. And so it's like this combination of like a short term solution versus like a long term need and want um, to like fix the actual systemic issue. Right. Because you need to go to the doctor or your mom needs to go to the doctor. Right. So you can, we can say all we want about like wishing there was a better way, but ultimately like you, you, yeah, you need to be able to get yourself places. So how do you, I mean, you just mentioned a regional transit system. How do you think things could be better for you and for other folks in your, in your community, not just you? I mean, obviously you're not the only person who lives there, right? Who's like not, you know, who's having to drive to get places. So can you, you know, we, we briefly, you briefly mentioned when we emailed about um, land use, bike lanes, walking. So what are some things you would like to see? Yeah. I mean, there's so many different ways that things could go. I think for one, like I would just like, first of all, in Clackamas County, there's like five different transit service providers, which is chaotic um and then there's like a portion of trimet that cut like it's like very it's very odd and very like small area based um and so i think just like having a bigger more comprehensive service district would make a lot more sense and making it actually connect to like make it connect to portland i think like in clackamas county there's like this fear of like portland creep they call it like the city's creeping in and it's just like okay but like we have to go to portland to like access what we need like even like arts and culture like i growing up like most of my time was spent in portland to go to concerts like more than anything it's like so like and so from the land use aspect it's just like having more of the things we need and want in our own community would make us less dependent on having to go somewhere else in the first place. And yeah, like in terms of like bike lanes and sidewalks, it's like, yeah, like I said, like I see people biking and walking all the time on country roads that are 55 miles an hour and, you know, have blind corners. And I'm just like, people don't slow down. People don't care. People don't drive like other people's lives matter, like their own life matters. And, um, And so it's just like, we have an obligation to protect people. And especially if people are going to be doing it regardless, we might as well give them the infrastructure to get around safely. So a lot of folks who are invested in the status quo and car supremacy and car culture will cite the needs of folks with disabilities 
and arguing for more investment in fossil fuel infrastructure. I hear this a lot uh, when it comes up as, well, not everyone can ride a bike, which is true, but as you said, not everyone can drive a car or not everyone, right? So, but um, can you talk a little bit about, I mean, I'm of the opinion that sometimes, sometimes those people are making genuine arguments and sometimes they're not, right? But can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, so yeah, exactly. Like you said, everyone's needs are different. And so like for some people, cars are genuinely like a like another mobility aid for them. But I mean, for me, just the economic side of having to drive is so inaccessible. Um, I'm on SSI. And so I only receive $529 a month. Um, the cost of... So like, there's so many costs that have been associated with driving for me that most people don't have to worry about. Like before I could even start learning to drive, I had to spend $250 on pedal extensions to be able to drive in the first place. And, um, and then the next thing I started looking into once I got my license were running boards because, um, I have a form of dwarfism, so I'm short, hence the pedal extensions, hence wanting like an extra step to get in the van. Um, Running boards would have been $800 and could have broken off if I went over a speed bump because vans are already so low. So instead, I opted for a $45 stool that I can pull in and out of the car myself. Now I'm to a point where I need to look into, okay, how can I get my wheelchair in and out of the car independently? And so at first I was looking into getting a ramp put into the van. Well, they don't convert vehicles older than 2018. Um And even if they did, that would be $30,000. Instead, I have to opt for a $6,500 lift in the back of the van. Uh, So it's just like, you know, and that's just like the accessibility costs, not even including insurance, gas, maintenance, registration, all of those things. And so it's like, just from an economics point of view, like advocating that, cars like makes sense as the best transportation solution for disabled people it just doesn't make sense to me at least because whether you're on ssi whether um whether you have a job but i mean even like disabled unemployment rates it's just like all of these systemic issues just like intertwining and it's just like i mean the 6500 lift i don't even receive 6500 a year from ssi so it's just like it it makes it pretty impossible and um and if you think about it it's like you know cars only last so long and then you're gonna have to do it all over again um it's ridiculous yeah that's just a really astounding amount of money to have to pay in addition to the cost of driving a car that's like just to get you to sort of baseline ability to use the vehicle right yeah yeah, that that's a that's a better. I wasn't sure what you were gonna say. You made a really good argument against cars as essentially a like mobility. Yeah, yeah, they're so yeah they're so expensive and right. And I think you made a really good point too about um, age. I mean, we all hope that we live very long, healthy lives, but we may get to a point where we can't drive um, or shouldn't be driving for whatever reason. And what, I mean, I'm looking at this right now with my, um, with my parents who are both pretty car dependent and it's like, what happens? They're not living in place 
in places where it's going to be easy when they can't drive anymore. You know, it's, it's really tricky. Well, so I wanted to like shift just a tiny bit. When I invited you on the show, I mentioned like climate anxiety. So I think, you know, here in the Northwest, we've had these heat waves. And then of course, now we're having what seems like the annual um, smoke that's coming in from wildfires. We're having all these extreme weather kinds of situations all over the world. Um, and I think that even those of us who have been kind of paying attention to these issues, oh, we have the recent IPCC, IPCC report. I think even those of us who have been paying attention to these issues are feeling a lot of like climate anxiety right now. Um, and so as a young person in particular, right, like this isn't just, this is, this is like your current and let's hope a lot of your future, essentially a lot more than mine. Um, so, I mean, how do we, but yet you are also doing a lot of activism around this issue. So can you just talk a little bit about that, how we sort of like deal with our own stress around this stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, like before September of last year, I had never really felt climate anxiety or climate grief um, the way I did during the September fires. Um, the entirety of Clackamas County was under some level of evacuation order. And um, and I mean, that was just, it, it was, it was a lot. And, um, and it was like, climate change finally became something where it's like, once it's right in front of your face, it's like, yeah, I had always cared about it, but once you can actually see it, um, it changes you. And then it just kind of kept happening over the past year, whether it was the ice storm or yeah, the heat waves or the drought or more smoke again. Um, and I think for me, at least, like what gives me the most anxiety about climate is people's inaction or even action against climate um because i think i would feel a lot better if people were making better decisions um because then i would have a little bit more hope on a daily basis um but instead like climate anxiety has completely changed my life trajectory like i went from being like when i was 16 i was like yeah i'm gonna work in the music industry and then now I'm like, anyway, I'm going to have to run for office at some point because <laughs> elected officials aren't getting it together. Um, and so for me, like how I cope um, is it's a lot of ways. I mean, part of it's the youth versus ODOT strikes every other Wednesday. Like I think being in person with my friends who are also fighting the same fight and like singing and chanting and, making art like I think those things are really helpful just like to make you feel less alone in it I think um therapy is so helpful for I realized like wow once I got my other mental health stuff under control that it helps everything so much um I've been doing a better job of just like letting myself feel whatever I'm feeling as I'm feeling it so if that means crying during a transportation meeting that <laughs> right after giving testimony where they vote to expand freeways, it's like, just <laughs> let it out. And, uh, 
and you know just thinking about the world that I want to see as much as I'm fighting against the world that I don't want to see and um and yeah like just trying to have fun doing the parts of the work that I enjoy so like I love communications type work so yeah I love making TikToks or I love writing testimony and op-eds and stuff so just trying to have fun make friends and uh let myself feel whatever comes my way. I think those are, those seem like really good, healthy approaches to thinking about it. It's a lot. Aaron, what were you yeah. going to say? Uh, well, I, I just want to kind of point out to people who are listening, like from abroad who, uh, you know, you might know where Portland is, but you don't necessarily know like the whole scope of things. Um, I know I've had people reach out to reach out to me from abroad, you know, asking like, you know, during the September fires, is everything okay? Like you, you going to be all right. And, you know, I, I'd be lying to say like there, there wasn't some, some anxiety or some sense of fear, but, uh, Clackamas isn't really like more than a 15 minute drive from, from Portland, you know, uh, and, and it was right at your door. I'm, I'm a, you know, is what I'm, what I'm hearing from you. Uh, so one, all those of us in here in Portland, like sure we felt it, but I don't think we felt it to the extent that like people in, in unincorporated Clackamas County have felt it. Uh, uh, and so one, I, I just, I just, I'm glad you're, you're here. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you, you made it through. Um, and I, I don't know if you you want to talk about your experience. If you don't, that's that's totally fine. But I think it's worth putting out there. If you do, like if if you feel like you want to you want to say something to to people, you know, out and abroad, um, you know, what it was like to to really like just have this at your door. And if you don't, that's that's totally fine too. Like I, I yeah, get it. no, like, I'm happy to talk about it. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, before September, we had never been in an evacuation zone, never really been close. I'd say the closest would have been the Gorge Fire because the evacuation zones kept getting further into like Gresham, which was really crazy, like uh, Mount Hood Community College, which was like a, a shelter for the Gorge Fire was um, like in one at some point that, that was like the first close time but September was really different because we had those dry hot winds that led up to the fires and that was stressful enough for me already I live in a forest all of the trees are hollow and rotten inside so every windstorm it's like just stay standing you know um and uh of course all of the treetops that decided to fall out waited until like the last gust of the whole storm so that was really stressful um but it's like i was personally already so stressed out because they just the news kept saying like the fire danger is so high and so like i personally had packed a go bag the night before we even knew there were gonna be fires like actually being a threat just because I was so stressed out and um so then the next day I just remember I mean the news was just wildfire coverage all over Oregon and the thing that was most stressful is just that there were so many fires they couldn't cover all of them 
And the smoke was so bad that they couldn't tell anyone where the fires actually were because they couldn't get up in a plane or a helicopter or anything to see where they were. Um, And so for a while, all you had was the evacuation map, but no idea where the fires actually were. And there were like a couple different fires in Clackamas County, some that were smaller. And then of course, everything was so dry that then there would be little brush fires popping up everywhere. And it just felt like at any minute, it could be you being next to get a knock on your door um, and being told to get out. And so uh, where I am, we were about 20 miles away from the fire, which considering like that to me, driving 20 miles is nothing because we had to drive so far to get to anything to begin with. uh, That was like a little too close for comfort. And um, we stayed in an in a level one, which just means like, uh, be ready, uh, evacuation zone the whole time. But we were like a mile away from level two and a couple miles away from level three. And having never been in in, in an evacuation zone before, um, my mom and I decided to voluntarily evacuate since we're both disabled. And I, at the time had only been driving for about nine months. Um, and I was like, I had already gotten no sleep for two nights because the first night was the windstorm. The second night was, I'm terrified that we won't get notified if we need to evacuate in the middle of the night. And so it was just checking the, uh, evacuation map constantly. Um, and so, yeah, so we decided to voluntarily evacuate about 48 hours into the whole state being on fire, basically. Um, just so that way we could relax for a minute and feel safe for a minute. And, um, and so that way I wouldn't have to drive in the smoke or the dark, um, you know, not knowing what was going to happen. And so we evacuated to my grandparents' house in White Salmon, Washington for a few days until things calmed down. But even then it was like, you know, watching the news, they were like, yeah, we have to pull all of the firefighters off fire because it's too dangerous to fight. And you're just like, what's going to happen or like uh, my best friend's parents live in Estacada and they were literally a mile from the fire um like Estacada was a mile from the fire all it had to do was jump the river and Estacada would have been on fire and um so yeah it was it was a little close for comfort and uh really made us realize how unprepared we were for that type of situation because we had never prepped a go bag. We had never thought, Oh, what if we need to evacuate? And so that's really changed things going into this year. We have a whole evacuation uh, kit prepared. We have a plan of like, number one, grab the cat, Um, you know, and stuff like that. And um, so, yes, I mean, it, in a way it was like, we learned a lot from going through that and thankfully it was a safe experience for us personally to learn a lot. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really stressful. You mentally detach from your home and where you live when you're evacuating. And so when you come home, it's like, okay, now I have to reattach with what I thought we could have lost. And it was just, uh, yeah, it was, uh, but some like to call a once in a lifetime experience, but probably unfortunately won't be. Right. And that, that was 
maybe kind of a follow-up I was going to bring up is like this, this is no longer like the news sort of presents this as like, this was a, this was an isolated incident, right? Uh, Like, Oh yeah. Once in a lifetime. Oh, I can't believe it was, it was like this, but looking back, there was plenty of lead up, like not to say like, Oh yeah, we could have seen this coming. I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but there was certainly plenty of signs out there that, uh, that some kind of event like this was was on the horizon. Uh, the the fires in in Eagle Creek in and in the gorge I think was could have been a, a really good wake up call for us. Um, and then uh, yeah, coming back to what you just said, like this is this is an ongoing thing. This once in a lifetime event actually is probably gonna be a yearly thing for hopefully not too much longer, but it is happening. Um, and it, I think it underlines, to me anyways, uh, it underlines how car infrastructure just is not adequate for everybody. Well, and something I've been thinking about a lot lately has been transportation related to any climate event. Um, at the end of July, when we had the sort of mild heat wave because now we compare everything to the 116 degree heat wave. So a hundred is mild. Um, uh, you know, I was watching my county's board meeting and one of my commissioners asked, uh, when they were getting a report on what cooling centers would be open, she asked if there was going to be transportation available to the cooling centers. And the person was like, no, there's no resources for it. And I was just like, wow, like you could, figure out how to advocate for hundreds of millions of dollars to expand a freeway, but you couldn't figure out how to get people transportation during climate disasters. And, um, and then later in the meeting, the board chair um, asked if it was the government's fault that 14 people in Clackamas County died during June's heat wave. And I'm just like, clearly it is Um, like, it's just like so awful to, to witness like because i because that's the thing i think about is i'm like yeah like in climate disasters it's like because we don't have any sort of you know public transportation or biking or sidewalks in most of clackamas county it's like you have to have a car if you want to evacuate if you want to get to a cooling center a warming center i mean just anything and that's that's you know leaving out the most marginalized people who can't drive. So, so when are you running for office? What, <laughs> when are you going to, when you, uh, no, I, I was about to say, when are you going to fix all this? It can't, it's, I, it's not, it's not. I think one thing when um, Ada was on the podcast uh, a few months ago, and I, I think one thing she sa- shared and I'm paraphrasing and apologies to her is basically like this whole thing of, it's not, it's not the job of young people who aren't in positions of power to be fixing these problems that they didn't cause, but clearly are experiencing, right? Like, um, I can't wait for you to get elected to wait to fix these problems, right? Like, we don't have time. We don't have time to wait, you know? And like, we keep getting, I think something that's been the case here in, in Portland and, and, you know, maybe you felt this too a little bit is that, 
except for the sort of looming threat of an earthquake, which is like sort of terrifying, but not, we can't, it's not like with a hurricane, right? Like you can't see, oh, maybe it's coming. Okay. It's not right. Like, it's just sort of, we know it's going to happen sometime, but we don't know when, right? It's um, too abstract to be real. At this it's point. too, it's, it's pretty abstract. Right. And, um, I think that a lot of us have had this idea of, wow, we're living in this lush green place. I mean, sure, it's dry in the summer, but we have so much rain and our temperature is pretty mild here and that we're going to be sort of buffered from the worst impacts of this stuff. And it's like 116 degrees is not a buffer. Like this is you know, maybe I was a little bit naive to not about the reality of climate change, but certainly how it could play out here and how quickly things could accelerate with droughts and these extreme heat. And it's, um, yeah, like we are feeling it in a place where we thought we weren't, we thought we were mostly going to be okay for a lot longer, I think. Yeah, I've been pretty amazed at how bad it's gotten so quickly. Um, Because, yeah, like with the drought and like, I don't know if either of you saw, but like uh, the city of Yamhill had to declare like a level three water emergency, um, which, you know, that's like 40... I can't remember if it's 45 minutes or 45 miles southeast of Portland, but, (laughs) or southwest of Portland. Um, But, you know, it's like, it's not like it's very far. And it's just like, that scares me because I'm like, we're on well water. We have no idea. Like, someday we could just turn on the faucet and it could just be like, well, you know, (laughs) we're in a drought. Um, Like, we have no idea uh, when and if that could happen. And uh, yeah, I've been, I've been pretty amazed at, how much we've been affected and like I I remember thinking like all like between September and the start of summer thinking it's really not raining a lot why isn't it raining a lot um because I remember even growing up sometimes we would kind of have rainy summers and now it's like that's not even a question like we like that that's not gonna happen and um, now it's just constantly like, okay, when's the first real rain going to be? And just like waiting for that moment. If uh, the folks listening to this podcast, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but if folks listening to this podcast did sort of one thing to help, what would you, what are some of the things you could suggest that people do if they're not doing them already? Like the importance of thinking beyond just in your own community, but thinking about how your community is connected to the communities around it. Um, I think living in Clackamas County, like, I mean, the urban-rural divide is unfortunately very real, and um, people often look at Clackamas County as a monolith, and they see our worst elected officials and think we are all like that, and think that therefore we don't deserve anything good. And so I think just remembering that there is a diversity of people in every place. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think especially thinking about transportation, like I think that like, for example, at the same time that we're like um, advocating for like less parking space requirements and stuff like that, we need to also be advocating 
for, you know, inner interconnected inner region, whatever the fancy words are, trans transportation um that's not dependent on cars because, you know, it's like when I go to Portland, I need parking because I have no other way to get there and stuff. So it's just like thinking about how those issues overlap and how um, you know, I can be in Clackamas County yelling about wanting um transportation that connects to other places but I also need people in other places yelling about that and I'm sure that's true in all sorts of um other place other cities where it's like the metro area has at least a start and then you know once you get outside the metro area it's just absolutely nothing and so just remembering that communities are interconnected and rely on each other and yeah, just remembering that rural areas are really impacted by these issues, like on a magnified scale. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's a really good good place to to end this. So, how can uh, where can people follow you or your work? Where can they find you? You can either some of the organizations you work with or your own social media. Where should people? Go. Yeah, I think the best places are probably at Sunrise PDX on every social media platform or uh, my social media is at Wilson X Cassie. Um, I mainly tweet, unfortunately. <laughs> I wish I wouldn't, but I can't help it. <laughs> I appreciate you on Twitter very much. I only recently started following you, but I appreciate that. Okay, Thank so you. We'll, we'll link to that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Cassie. It's been lovely to speak with you and get to know you a little bit. And I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Yes, absolutely. I hope I get to meet you guys in person at some point. Someday. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. Another week of talking to somebody young. (laughs) (laughs) This is our life now, isn't it? (laughs) What do the kiddies have to say about this? What do the youth think? What is going on in the TikToks? (laughs) Here's, Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You started talking to Cassie about about uh running sunrise it's like okay let me rewind so she mentioned she was part of sunrise pdx and i was like i know who that is i know who sunrise <laughs> is i'm cool i'm with it sunrise yeah they're awesome they like you know they backed chris smith and you know they do all these really cool things against uh the i5 expansion they really put it on ODOT. i know who they are and she's like, and I run their TikTok, and I'm like, I'm old. I've heard, I've heard of TikTok. I've heard of it. Oh, I it's like I know what TikTok is, and I know I can't be part of that. <laughs> I to to be fair, to be fair, I saw that TikTok because they posted it to Twitter. Right on. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I think I've been on TikTok a little bit, and it's I think it's really good fun. It. Oh, it's totally cool. It brings cool. you and, to what you like. It brings you to what you like. So yeah. it doesn't take long before I'm, you know, getting and, lots of TikToks about like houseplants. <laughs> <laughs> Anna does but, this thing where she saves various TikToks and then we sit down and watch them together. Ah, excellent. Yeah, uh, but yeah. that's that's really the only interaction. I feel like me joining TikTok would be like the same. My 
it would be their generation's version of my generation's mom is on Facebook. The Sprocket Podcast is produced in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and tell your friends about us. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Twitter and Instagram at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Hurtbird for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Cameron Lean. Richard Wazenski, Tim Mooney, Glenn Kubish. Eric Wise, Doug Cohen-Miller, Chris Smith. Caleb Jenkinson, J.P. Cooley, Peanut Butter, Jar Matt. Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Drew the Welder. Anna. She'll be home soon. Andre Johnson, Richard G. Guthrie Straw, who was previously out in the woods. Aaron Green, <laughs> author of We Were Like Sons and founder of the Regrainery. Campsite, Macknurse David, Jeremy Kitchen. David Belay, Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel. EJ Finneran, Brad Hipwell, Thomas Skadow. Keith Hutchinson, Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson. Ryan Tam, Jason Oftenberg, David Moore, Todd Grossbeck. Chris Barron. Chris Barron. Chris, Chris Barron. Barron. <laughs> Sean Baird, Simon Pace, Gregory Braithwaite. Dude Luna, who completed the Swift Summit for the Woo-hoo! third time. Good job. Is, Emma Rooks. Philip Ann. Oops, sorry. That was you. Spartan Dale, Mr. T, who never really left. Bike Initiative, Kiwana, Sarah G. Adam D. Go Dig a Hole, Beth Hammond. Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, Oso. Isaac M, Byron Patterson, Kirsten Graham. Aaron G, Rachel Moline, Jimmy Diesel, Christopher Barnett. And our newest sponsor, Jonathan Lee. And thanks to all our former supporters who helped us along the way. Now, brush your teeth. And go to bed. Wash your damn hands. <laughs>